Hello, everybody, and happy Monday. I hope you all had a fulfilling weekend. And I just want to tell you, my heart is so happy. We had a support call on Saturday and on Tuesday with all of the people who just took the Conquer Your Goals e-course. And it was so inspiring and touching for me to hear how powerful people could experience these movement explorations, even across the world at a distance. And then it was just such a beautiful gift to watch us all come together and support each other. It was almost like Even though we just met, it feels like this group already knew each other for a long time and just could jump into supporting each other. So I just want to share how special that is. And I feel really, really happy about it. And I want to share that with anyone else who's interested. So we are going to start another round of this Conquer Your Goals e-course starting March 15th limited to 20 participants. And I like to keep it small and intimate. That way everyone has a chance to really feel supported and get to know each other. And right now I'm doing a giveaway. I'm giving away two free spots to this e-course. And all you have to do is sign up for my newsletter. And you can find that link in the podcast description. So when you click on the podcast, find that link and sign up. You'll be automatically entered as long as you sign up by March 1st. After that, it's going to cost $97 to join, so why not try for free? So in other news, I recently took a poll on my Facebook page about what you'd like to hear next, and it was pretty even. The two options were to hear more about living life as a therapist or a healer, and the other option was to hear more about specific approaches to mind-body healing and dance movement therapy. 42% voted for life as a therapist and 57% voted for specific approaches. So I'm going to just do a mix of both of those options. But today I'm going to start with talking about specific approaches. And I figured that before we really get into specific approaches... I really want to talk about some foundations, some really important foundations of a dance therapy session or any kind of movement healing session. So this episode is going to be talking about why music is my best friend in every session and why it's so important and how to use it really intentionally to support and contain the therapeutic process. I just want to give two disclaimers before I dive in. This episode is geared more towards therapists and healers and anyone who wants to become one. And also, I use the word patients and clients interchangeably. I'm implying the same thing, but because I work in both public and private settings, I tend to switch them up. This is Mind Your Body, a dance movement therapy perspective on the integration of our emotional, cognitive, physical, and spiritual aspects of our being into one more aware and whole existence. So it's a no-brainer that music is important, right? Because we often think of dance and music going together. And most likely, you've had your own powerful experiences with music, 
And we know that music really has the power to move us and move us in different ways. But as a therapist, as a healer, as a session leader, whatever position you're in, and also as a person who's just trying to find healing within movement, music, the choice of music is really, really important. So I have to be honest, when I started out as a therapist, I didn't really think about this much myself. I knew music was important because it had been important for me in my own dance journey. And that was about it. I had one playlist on an iPod and just played it through my session. But over the years, I've really learned to organize and create playlists that matches different energies and different moods and different populations. And I will spend hours making a playlist. I actually really enjoy researching different kinds of music. And I have to listen through most of the song to make sure that it's going to be okay and which playlist it belongs. Now, just like any other therapeutic prop or tool, you can use music in session in a way that is just kind of trying to do the therapy for you, or you can really be in control of the music in a way that's going to support what you're trying to do as a therapist and the interventions that you're implementing. So for example, I used to work at a therapeutic preschool with kids ages three to five, and most of the music that I used was instructional music. So it's kind of like the hokey pokey or um, different kinds of music that instructed the children how to move. And there was a huge difference between me just playing the music and hoping that they'll respond to it versus really supporting the music with my own voice and with my own body movements. So in the first scenario, I would play the music, and I should mention that the kids that I worked with were either developmentally delayed and on the autism spectrum, and could range from being completely uninterested in engaging socially to mostly interested but needed some encouragement. And also worked with emotionally disturbed children who had a lot of oppositional defiant behavior and really needed some encouragement to participate in a healthy way, meaning in a way that they could interact with their peers positively and express a full range of emotions, but in a way that they weren't going to be aggressive or self-harming. So in the first scenario where I could just play music that instructed them what to do without really, without having a strong presence, so without really using my voice and my body to support it, I would lose these kids real quick. Some kids would really enjoy the music and that was motivated, motivating enough, but most of them were driven and motivated more by aggression and other unproductive behaviors like chasing around each other and kicking each other, for example. That was more exciting than some music telling them to jump up and down and spin around and whatever else it was. Okay, but when I 
really exaggerated my voice and my body to match what the music was doing. They were interested in me and following me. And they had this huge presence of a leader who was making an example that this was something exciting and beneficial to them. And just the interaction, you know, my eyes widening, my body opening, my voice projecting, that was life, you know, I was alive, I looked alive, and I was excited, and they wanted to be there too. And so that's an example of how I had to really use my body and my voice and I had to be stronger than the music, even though the music is very important. And I'm going to talk about why in a few minutes, but I have to be the leader, right? Not the music. Now, another example is working with adults who are depressed. And I am going to be talking mostly about group work since that's where I've done most of my work. But all of this can apply in individual sessions too. So a group of Adults who are struggling with depression is very different than hyperactive, energetic kids. Usually, they the adults are withdrawn, and many of them report to be stuck in their own head, worrying about the past, thinking about the future. Um, in the case where I work, thinking about discharge from the hospital or just kind of generally worrying about their safety. They're in a room with a group of strangers, um, with mostly strangers, and they have to make sure that they're safe. So there's a lot of internal anxiety going on. And so when I bring music, I cannot let that music do the therapy for me because I can play music and there's a chance that there's a song that really connects with somebody and just brings them out of this withdrawn state. But I'm not always going to be lucky like that. And if I am, it's not going to happen on a huge scale. So there are different ways that I can support moving to the music for adults. If it's low key, I can just have them move and warm up their bodies and breathing in and out and being really instructional with what we're doing. If it's more energetic, upbeat music, I am always almost going to support the beat with my clapping or stomping or some kind of containing rhythm that that I can really emphasize what the structure of the music is. And I'm going to talk about the structure of the music and why that's important in a minute. So the point of all this is to say, don't let the music lead your session for you, but rather let it support you as if if you have a really supportive staff member or someone else who is really supporting your process, but you are the leader, not the music. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about why I have all these different playlists and what they entail. And then I'm going to talk about the importance of the different types of music. So I have a slow warm-up playlist, and that's mostly slow music with not necessarily a strong beat, but just kind of slow-paced and calming music. These songs have words, and they're songs that 
people probably have heard of once or twice. Some of them are only instrumental, but they just have a really powerful sound and kind of a motivating sound. It's hard to describe that over a podcast, but if you want a copy of my playlist, I can think of how to put that together and provide that for you. So I mainly use this playlist when I'm walking into a session where the clients are seeming really low energy, really withdrawn, and there's just not that much excitement going on or interaction between the group members. And so I'm trying to meet them where they're at here, and I'm essentially matching my music to their mood. In my experience, if I start a session and my clients are feeling really withdrawn and then I put on really energetic music, it just feels kind of awkward and it feels like it's not right. It almost feels like I'm trying to force them to be more energetic and more spontaneous and happier. I guess that's kind of what it feels like is I'm saying, okay, I see that you guys are withdrawn, but I want you to be more upbeat and energetic. And while I absolutely do want to see them get there, I have to bring them through an organic flow that brings them there versus forcing them. Which brings me to my next playlist. So once I go through this warming up period where I meet them where they're at and we start to move pretty slow and get grounded, I can feel an energy shift and I can just feel that they're ready for something more upbeat. It's hard to explain because it's a very body-based feeling, but some things that I see are that they've become more upright in their chairs with my cues and with my support, they're looking around the room more, looking at each other more. They just look more ready to go. They look more ready to take on a new experience and something more. So I then transition to the upbeat playlist. And my upbeat playlist has upbeat music, of course, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's all fast. And maybe I could label it better, but That's what I called it when I created it. And so I really created this playlist for strong, consistent beats. So it would be like, "Mm, mm, mm, mm," like that. Or if it was slower, it would be like, no matter what the speed, there's a consistency and there's a predictability and a strength within that music. And the reason why that's so important, especially as we're transitioning to moving more, so usually when I transition to this upbeat playlist, it's because we are going to start moving more. And that, to my clients, is often pretty unfamiliar to move in the way that we do. And so I need to make sure that I can contain the process as much as possible And this predictable beat helps me do that because it keeps the movement expression organized. And there's kind of a a limit on how there's a certain window for speed and intensity. So we kind of know how slow is the slowest we can go and how fast is the fastest we can go with this music, right? Because you you can move to music 
regular speed or you can move half speed or you can move double speed. So there's three possibilities there. Uh, Most likely it's not going to be any slower or faster than that. But I'm allowing the patients to really know like this is how this is the fastest it's going to get, or this is the slowest it's going to get. This is the most intense it's going to get, and this is the least intense it could get. It's not going to get more out of hand than this, in a way. So it's predictable, but it's it's also giving them that experience that things are under control. And if there's if there are any patients in your group who are moving in ways that are kind of going out of these boundaries, well, then as a leader, you have to you have to redirect in a way that's showing them and helping them stay within the boundaries. And the reason that I clap or I stomp is because I really want to reinforce these boundaries. I really want to reinforce the beats and the organization and the predictability of it. Because again, the music doesn't always do that for me, even though I purposely and very carefully pick out songs with strong beats, it can still be hard to really impact my clients the way that I intended to. So I really have to support that process. Um, And I don't always do that. Actually, sometimes I have clients in the room who automatically want to clap or snap or stomp to the beat. And I got this idea from somebody last year, a patient who asked to be the beat keeper and she didn't really want to move, but she was really motivated to just keep the beat. And I can imagine how organizing this experience must have been for her as we were on the unit with patients who were struggling with mania and psychotic symptoms. So If I see anybody in my session drawn to doing that, I'll ask them if they want to take over that role. And so you don't necessarily have to do it as a therapist, but I think it's really important that it's there in some way, that this reinforcement of the beat is there. So the other playlist that I use the most all around, all across populations, is my cool down playlist. It's similar to my slow warm-up playlist. The music is low-key, and there's not as much emphasis on the beats. But I like to say it's uh, my cheesy playlist because I have songs on there like Gravity by John Mayer, Better Together by John Jackson, oops, Better Together by Jack Johnson, I Won't Give Up by Jason Mraz. Um, I have this super cheesy song (laughs) That shout out to Christina Devereaux. She suggested to me, but I absolutely love it. It has taken my sessions to places that I could not imagine. Um, It's called One Voice by the Waylon Jennies. And you got to listen to it, but you can only play it in the right kind of setting because if the patients are just not in that sort of spiritual, unified, cohesive place, they might say like, um, what is this? Uh, but if you play it in the right place where you have a session and everyone is super connected and really in tune with each other, and then you play this song called One Voice, they're like, wow, it feels like a transformational journey. A lot of these cool dance songs emphasize togetherness and unity. 
and recovery and hope. Man in the Mirror is on my cool down playlist, but it's also on my upbeat playlist. But I think it's a nice message to end the group. And it's almost always really strongly responded to. But again, sometimes a song like Man in the Mirror can do the work for you to close out your session. But you still don't want to lose anybody after all that work you've done for that one session. You want to make sure that you're still holding everybody. So even just a little direction like supporting the words supporting the lyrics of the songs what do you see when you look in the mirror who do you want to be how do you want to change so they don't have to answer those questions in the moment but you know really really supporting the words there at the end could be powerful or if words aren't appropriate at the moment it could just be some kind of movement Place your hand somewhere in your body that feels meaningful to you right now for the rest of the song. So yeah, that's pretty much how I use music across all populations. I do have playlists that are more catered to different populations. Like I have a playlist just for adolescents because, oh, they're tough. You know, they don't, if they don't like the music, a lot of times they're not going to be motivated to move and to participate. You know, there are times where I think it's also powerful not to use music, but with the adolescents, I don't know if I've ever experienced that. And they are very, very motivated by music and it kind of enliven it it enlivens them. It's one of those things that they can rely on in their lives, you know, outside the therapy that really helps them. Most people, I mean, not every single person loves music, but most of the time I have to make sure that I have a playlist for the the adolescents that they're going to respond to and that they're going to be inspired by. And I don't take requests. You might be able to relate to this, but, you know, people see my my iPod and they actually, it's it's a very old iPhone that I use now as an iPod. So they automatically think that I can connect to the internet and look on YouTube. And I have a few different responses for when people request songs. And I say, I don't take requests. I have a downloaded playlist and I can't play anything other than what I have on here, which is true. I also say I can't take requests because then I'm going to be looking down at my phone and trying to look for songs. And I want to be present and look at you and pay attention to what you're doing. If you're working with somebody individually, that's a different story. You can always build a playlist together, and that's a little bit different. But in groups, I can't take requests. <laughs> I also have a playlist mostly full of international music. It's just instrumental, and the beats are still really strong, but there's no words, and most likely no one's ever heard of them before. So I've used that playlist a lot more in my private groups because I think they're ready for more. I have a feeling that they have less of a need to be motivated by music that is familiar. Um, I think they have just as strong of a need to be to respond to music that's predictable and consistent. But the work that we're doing is more long term and it's more it's going to go more in depth. So I find that familiar music can be a bit of a distraction and. I want to lead them more out of their comfort zone in this long-term work than I can in a one-time session in a short-term setting. 
So that's where I'll use the less familiar music. But going to familiar music is absolutely always on the table. Sometimes it's completely necessary because we know that progress in treatment and in someone's mental health isn't always going to be going up, but it's going to be going in waves. And so sometimes we have to go back to that comfort zone and that familiar space, which brings me to what I talked about earlier is that even though music is my best friend in sessions, there is so much power to not using music too. And it just really depends on what the situation is and who you're working with. If you're sensing that music is a distraction or being used as more of an escape, and escape is healthy to a degree, right? But if it's being used as an escape that's becoming unhealthy and not serving the progress, then, you know, that's the time to try try to not use music. Um, when there's not music around, you can also hear more of what's going on inside your body, what's going on inside the client's body. And that might be a time where maybe there's a time you want to really focus on the sound and the movement of one's breath and other sensations inside the body. You know, everyone has their own history with music and it's not necessarily always a healthy one. If you're working with a population who are struggling with addiction, you know, that's one example and it's not all of them, but some of them who have an experience to really to use music to enhance their experience of using drugs or vice versa. And so that might not be serving them. And so, of course, there's there's no one size fits all. It's really gonna gonna take your your assessment and your instincts as a a therapist, a healer, a leader, or as a person just exploring movement on their own to continuously ask the question: Is this music serving the process right now, or is it taking away from it? I think that's pretty much all that I have to say about music today. And if you would like a copy of my playlist, I would be so happy to share that with you and let me know. And I'll figure out a way to transfer it from Spotify onto some kind of list. I hope this was helpful for you. I hope that you can use it in some way. And let me know, give me some feedback about if you were able to take any of this advice and apply it in your work and your life. All right, so have a great week. Don't forget that I'm giving away two free spots to my Conquer Your Goals e-course. It's a completely video-led course by me with guided movement explorations. And there's a workbook that comes with it that helps you translate what you experienced in movement to your life. And there's a 24-7 support group and also a live support call at the end where we all meet each other. So check the podcast notes. You can sign up to earn a free spot by March 1st. See you next time. Bye.